than ever before. Can somebody say amen? Now to my message. I want you to open up to Psalm 127. You've been sitting for a few minutes, so would you mind standing for the word of God for a minute? Psalm 127, verse 1. I love the fact that the technology even gives us hundreds of translations we can look up right at this moment. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. I've heard this used as an excuse that we don't have anything to do with the building of the church. In other words, it's God's house, it's God's church, let him build it. He said he would build it, we don't have anything to do with it. If you believe that, then you're not reading the whole scripture. So I want us out loud together to read that verse. Come on. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. When you look at that, what do you see? You see the master builder and you see the contract labor. (laughs) You see the master builder and you see the contract labor. Look at a neighbor right now and say, your contract labor. Amen? And guess what? You could take it to another level, but we don't. I mean, we don't have a word for this, but it's covenant labor. Because a contract ends at a certain point, but a covenant does not end. Amen? Your covenant labor. Your covenant labor. So now I want you to ask the Lord right now. Say, Lord, come on out loud. Say, Lord, help me to be a strong, to be a spirit-filled, to be an excellent covenant laborer, With you, the master builder, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we continue this week to focus on the Father's house, a couple of weeks ago we talked about some of the different building materials we use to build that house. But this week I want to take a step back and go to something that happens before you can put the wood up, before you can put the, the sheetrock up, before you can put the roof on, something else needs to be built. I want to look at the foundation of God's house. Luke chapter 6, if you want to turn there, Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 46, says, So why do you keep calling me, Lord, Lord? When you don't do what I say, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. 
But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into heaps of ruins. You know, in our last couple of years in Florida, we were privileged and honored to be able to build our first house. Now, we had owned a couple of houses. We'd owned a house in Mansfield. Uh, when we first got married, we bought that. When, then we sold that, and we moved to Montana. We never owned a house in Montana. And then we went to Florida, rented for a while, and then bought a small house there. And as our children grew up and began to kind of fill that house, we decided it was time to build again. And for the first time in our lives, uh, and the only time in our lives, we were able to design the house that we lived in. Well, I say design, you know, neighborhoods. You get to choose the plans. But we got to choose the carpet and the flooring. We got to choose the color of the walls. We got to choose, uh, you know, whether we wanted granite or, or regular uh, countertops. We got to choose some things. We got to add this bonus room on top that became like the boys' hangout, their bedroom and their hangout room. And uh, so we got to choose a lot of that. And then we're in that pick and choose. We had to decide what was more important. And we decided that laminate flooring with five children was more important than a huge back porch, right? So we chose to put the money into the laminate flooring rather than a nice big back porch. But behind our house, there was a swamp. Now, when you're in Florida, that's not a big deal. That's fairly normal, right? So there was a, there was a swamp, but, but we got to watch every day we would drive by or every week we would drive. Really, it was sometimes every month because it took 18 months during that housing boom at that time to build our house. And so we would drive by and we would go and we would watch as they prepared the dirt, right? And then we watched as they began to pour the footings and as they were digging down and, and making sure that they could hit bedrock. Why do you think that they wanted to hit bedrock in Florida? Because the entire state is a beach, right? I mean, it's, it's, you don't have to dig far to get to sand, but you have to dig far to get to bedrock. And so we watched as that foundation was built and the pipes came up. And it was fascinating to me and it reminded me of my own father who was a contractor and watching buildings that he would build go up. So they built that foundation and they built it to completion and we moved in 18 months later. It was an exciting day. Then we decided we want to build a playhouse. Our kids were getting older. It was a construction zone all around us. So we started going to some of the sites and saying, do you have any scrap wood? And they would say, yeah, sure, anything in this area, you can go to any house or any construction area, and if it's in this box area, it's, it's going to go to the dump. You can take it. So every weekend we would go and we would drag some more pieces of wood. We would get some little pieces of, of roofing and different things, and we began to build a playhouse out back just beyond the yard in the swamp area. <laughs> I think you know where this is going. 2004 and 2005, according to Wikipedia, which is not always, well, anyway. But anyway, 2004 and 2005 were the most active Atlantic hurricane season in recorded history so far. 
we were pelted by several major hurricanes. During one hurricane, I think it was Charlie. I think that was which one it was. My parents had come to visit. The only time in the almost eight years we were in Florida, they came to visit once, and they came to visit during a hurricane. And we were without power for almost 72 hours. Yet our house stood strong. Can I tell you something that didn't survive? Anybody want to guess what didn't survive? Yeah, the little playhouse in back. It didn't survive. We didn't put a foundation on it. And it just kind of leaned over and then crashed to the ground. Can I tell you something that foundations matter? Foundations matter. In today's shifting sands of cultural morality, we must stand firm on a solid rock. And that rock is Christ Jesus. You can take it to the bank. The word of God will never go out of style. I don't care who picks and chooses. I don't care what political uh, proponent cuts up and says, well, I'm a Christian and I'm this way or that way and I'm going to cut out this portion of Scripture and that's not what other You You can stand on the word of God. It doesn't matter what the culture brings. It doesn't matter what the storms of life brings when you have built on a solid foundation. Building the Father's house begins with the foundation. Building the Father's house begins with the foundation. Jesus said the difference between those who have a solid foundation and those without a foundation is simple. It's the obedience factor. Did you catch that in Jesus' story? Yes. There's foundation and no foundation. But he said, those who listen and obey my word have a strong foundation. But those who listen and don't obey his word have no foundation. What they build falls apart when the storms come. Listen, I've been in ministry for 30 years now, and I can tell you that when a marriage is built on the foundation of Christ, it will stand the test of time. It will stand storms that come their way. But when a marriage is not built on the foundation of Christ, the first storm that comes along, everything begins to fall apart. Did you notice something about that, what I just said and what Jesus said? The storms are going to come. Anybody with me on that? The storms are going to come. There is no Christian life that doesn't have a storm coming your way. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You're either in one of three places in life. You've either just come out of a storm, you're going into a storm, or you're in the middle of a storm. <laughs> and I know that seems very pessimistic, but it's really not. Because how many of you know storms are actually a good thing? Storms clean things out, storms get rid of things that are weak. Living in Florida, you just dealt with the hurricanes. And I've, I believe I would rather deal with a hurricane than a tornado any day of the week. That's just my, my thinking. 
But when a hurricane comes through, it, it's wind and it's rain. But man, after the storm is gone, can I tell you it's some of the most beautiful sunsets? People begin to come and clean out the, the palms, branches that have fallen to the ground. Some of the dead branches that were up in the tree, they begin to come and they begin to clean them out. The storms are going to come, but whether or not you stand the test of time will be your foundation. And your foundation is built by obeying the word of God. I can't emphasize that enough. Your foundation is built by obeying the word of God. When you obey, you're strong. When you disobey, you'll fall apart. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul talks about this foundation. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 16, again, out of the New Living, it says, For we both, Jews and Gentiles, God's workers, for we both, God's workers, they're Jews and Gentiles, and you are God's field. You are God's, what's the word he uses there, church? You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already laid, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something about the context here. Think about this. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. He's kind of setting them up for the rebuke that will come in the next few chapters. But Paul had established the church. I I, want to say it as plain as I can. What he's talking about is that Paul established the local church in Corinth. He'd also established it in Ephesus and, and, and in uh, other areas throughout. And what we have here is the letters to those churches. So he's saying, I came like an expert builder and I laid the foundation for this local church. And he said, what did I lay that foundation? What was the foundation I laid? Jesus Christ. And you have to understand when the word Jesus Christ is there, he's not just simply saying Jesus on the cross. What he's saying is, is Jesus Christ the living word? Let me say that again. Jesus Christ, the living word. And he uses Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ is the Messiah. And Messiah means the anointed one and his anointing. Did you know that? Christ is not his last name. It's it's a descriptor word saying Jesus is the Messiah and the Messiah is the anointed one and his anointing. So think about this. Jesus, John calls him the word of God. The word and the anointing and the anointed one are the foundation we build on. So Peter was saying to the Corinthian church, who, who's talking to you? Who cut in on you, he says later, and cut in on your race? Who told you these other things? Because I gave you the truth. I gave you the word of God. And I came with an anointing from the anointed one. <laughs> and I laid that foundation. 
And if anyone comes without the Christ, without the anointing, without the representation of the anointed one, without the word of God, then your building foundation is faulty. You're mixing the concrete with too much water. Come on. You're mixing in with the word too much of other things, too many fillers, and you don't get the right mix. And Paul says, I've been doing this a while, and I came as an expert builder. (laughs) My dad, as a contractor, for almost 50 years of his life, he could lay a foundation. But me, as a 16-year-old kid on the job site, couldn't lay sticks. Come on. Why? I didn't have the expertise. But Paul says, I came and I laid that foundation. And if anyone is trying to build on this foundation, anything else, if they're trying to come and lay faulty materials, if they're trying to come and lay cheap materials, in other words, if they're coming with the worldly viewpoints, if they're coming with faulty thinking, if they're coming with faulty preaching, not based on the word of God, then it will not work. It's going to fail. We have to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The word of God, the anointed one and his anointing. Now, I will tell you this. He also says that anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, right? Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. But Jesus said earlier in the reading, but on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Now, I told you at the beginning of this that we are all contract or covenant laborers. So what does that mean, Pastor? That means that we each have a part to play in the building of God's house. Every one of us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, then you have a part in building the house of God. That means the local house, and that means the universal house of God. We are all part of that. When I got the call from Brian, and I told Brian Gomez uh, a couple months ago, I said, Brian, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to bring a large team to Spain. Now, this is before we knew anything of the corona uh, virus outbreak and all of that mess. We didn't know any of that. I just said, I, I don't see us bringing a large team. In fact, Brian, I, it only looks like it's going to be me and Nathan. And this is what he said. He said, we already have the dates planned. We already are going forward with the church launch. I want you here on that day. And there was something in his voice. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't need to go and build Brian's church. Brian and Ruthie, with the Lord, will build that church. They're expert builders. They've been doing this for years. They've been on the mission field for 10 years. Ruthie grew up on the mission field much of her life in Spain. They know what to do. I can't speak Catalonia. I can't speak the language. I can't even come with the Americanized version of Spanish and try and get by there. It's just not going to work. 
But yet he said, I want you here. So immediately the Lord dropped in my heart. You've got a part to play in this. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I'm going to preach that day on the opening day. And at this point, I don't know the full thing that I'm going to do. But as the team formed, you know the story. We went from Nathan and I to now six of us going within a matter of a week. And I was just with those people on Monday night talking through. And every single one of those young people told me a story of God's miraculous provision for them to go on this. One of the young ladies told us, she said, I don't, this doesn't happen to me often. She said, but I had a dream about eight weeks ago of Spain and specifically Barcelona. And she said, I woke up thinking, why am I having a dream about this? She then went to school and Nathan said, is there anyone who would like to go on a missions trip to Barcelona, Spain? (laughs) And she said, immediately I knew I'm supposed to be on that trip. And she said, it's been amazing how God has raised. She said, this is just one story. She said, I decided, I thought maybe I'll try and sell some shirts. She didn't know Nathan already had that in the work. But she went to Nathan and after she found out, she said, I've already got this idea for some shirts. Do, Do you mind if I do this? Do you know that within two weeks, she raised $600 on selling T-shirts? She's not a T-shirt expert, nothing. She just knew God wanted her to go. I'm telling you, when when you know that God has called you to do something, even if it's a short-term project, God will provide. God will lead you. God will guide you. And, And that's just one way that we begin to see that God has a plan for us. So here's the thing. When I go to Spain, I've got to decide, am I building with wood, hay, and stubble, or am I building with gold, silver, and precious jewels? If I just go there to sightsee, if I just go there to to look at the beautiful sights and everything else, and I'll tell you, every missionary, every mission strip I've ever been on, the missionaries want you to see their beautiful country. They want you to see the cool things that are there, if there are any cool things. But they want you to see whatever it is. And so they want you to spend all this time. And I always tell missionaries, I said, look, we are not there for vacation. And I understand what you're doing. You want to bless us. That's what they want us to do but we don't need a big, long day off. So literally, our trip in Spain, we get a half day off. (laughs) And Brian was apologizing. I said, Brian, that's beautiful. That's perfect. We're not going to be there long enough anyway. That's excellent. Let's do this. Why? Because we're there to help build the church, not sightsee. And I wonder, do we look at this life as that way? Are we looking at this life as a believer that we're just here mostly for sightseeing? For our own pleasure? For our own ideas? Or are we here to build the house of God? Are we here to build the house of God? Once the foundation is strong, we use what we build, or we use what we have to build the house, and that becomes important. Jesus mentioned the judgment day. That's also known as the Bema seat. Have you ever heard of the Bema seat? The Bema seat. Some believers don't think that we will face judgment once we die and go to heaven. 
there is a judgment day, and it's for you and me. Did you know that? Every believer will face judgment. And some people say, well, yes, definitely. We'll, we'll face judgment, but we're already good. I got the blood of Jesus on me, so I'm just going to slide right through that process. <laughs> Not on the Bema Seat Day. On the Bema Seat Day, our works will be tried by fire. Listen to this, church. As believers, as disciples of Christ, it's the only heat we will feel. <laughs> We will not face the fires of hell, but we will face the fire of his judgment on our works. And I could spend a long time talking to you about this, but I I just really felt like what the Lord said was that what are we building the house with? It will be tried by fire. And I'm going to tell you something. I know that much, much of the stuff I've done in the last 30 years It's going to be burned up. I've had to come to terms with that. That there are things I did thinking I was doing God a favor. And I realized it's just going to burn. It's just going to burn. But there are things that I know that I did through the anointing and the anointed one. That I did based on the word of God. That he will not judge me by the crowds that listen to me. He will not judge me by the results in the altar. He will judge me by my obedience. I don't get to tell God these are the results I wanted. I just get to obey. I just get to obey. The results are left up to him. As the master builder. If I follow the plan, then he will get the glory. Amen? I believe that on judgment day, on the Bema seat day, that many praying grandmas are going to receive huge crowns. And many big shot believers will receive humility. Let me say that again. I believe that on the Bema Seat Day that many praying grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles that were praying for us, they're going to receive huge crowns and we're going to say, wait a minute, they never preached to thousands? They didn't go and equip the church to do that? I mean, yeah, sure, they showed up to the prayer meetings and the prayer summits, but, but I mean, come on. There was so much going on in my life, I just didn't have time to do those kind of things. I had to go out and do something. I had to go out and hustle. Hello? And there's going to be many people say, but Lord, I did this and I did that. And he's going to say, you did it with wrong motives. You did it to be seen by men. You did it just like the Pharisees. But it's a good thing that you surrendered your life to me. So at least you're going to escape, even as one escaping from a burning house. Lost everything, but you're still here. Ah, there's so much to teach on that, but I've got to keep moving. The question is, what are we contributing to building the Father's house? What are we giving that is going to last for eternity? What are we contributing that will stand the test of the fire? Here's a question for you. 
Is what you're living for right now worth what he died for? Is what you're living for right now worth what he died for? Are the things that we're living for, are the things that we're, we're so enamored with, are they worth what he died for? You see, it's good, and I think that today is a day. It's a good thing to examine ourselves and allow the Lord to look at our lives now. Why? I'll tell you why in a second. The question is, what are we spending our time, our talent, and our treasure on? Will it survive the test of the eternal flame? I I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it. There was a time when I was driving, some of you know this, I was driving a, a van around the Metroplex. I was, I was part of a small church that I was a youth pastor at, and, um, but I, I needed to have a full-time job to support my young family, Joni and I and little Joe. <laughs> he was just a little tyke. And I was driving this van around, and I was going from doctor's office to doctor's office delivering x-rays. And I was out there, and I was listening to the Bible, and I was, I was praying during those times, and I was listening to stuff. But I started listening to talk radio a lot, a lot. And I don't remember even what the political landscape was like at that time, but 1993, 92 but I just remember listening to a lot of talk radio and, and I finally had to turn it off because I felt like it just weighed me down and I would turn on the word of God and I would pray and all of a sudden I would get lifted up. And I remember I went back to the office and, and the general manager of the office was a man uh, and then I was the other guy. Everybody else in the office was ladies and they were wonderful. I think Joni said this before that they gave us the greatest baby shower that, that we had ever had. It was amazing. They just loved on us. But there came a point when they figured out that I wasn't just a full-time, you know, x-ray tech, but that I was also a preacher of the gospel. And so they would ask different questions, and it gave some a few little opportunities, but the general manager didn't want anything to do with it. He's like, you can leave your religion at church, but when you come to work, don't bring it here. Okay. So I just answered questions as we went along. But one day, I couldn't stand it anymore. Because they came through the office and they said, we are going to uh, do a big office thing and we're going we're gonna to raise money for a certain organization. And this certain organization helps babies and helps the moms and it's a great organization. And, and I really didn't know too much about it, but I got a check in my spirit. And I thought, I need to check this out. And man, these, these people were going all out. They were, they were raising the funds. They were selling stuff to raise funds for this certain organization I won't name. And I thought, hmm. And, and I, you know, today, what do you do if you, if you want to check something out? You say, hey, Siri, hey, Google, you know, hey, Alexa, tell me all about it. But that time, you had to do a little bit more research. So I started researching, and I found out that this particular organization, while their front was we help mothers and we help Um, children, really their whole purpose was to create a test to see if in postpartum, is it postpartum? No. No, before the baby's born. Prepartum. Yeah. To see if the baby had any major defects. I'm not talking about heart failures. I'm talking about Down syndrome. What the world calls defects. 
That was their major funding source. That was the major thing they were raising the funds for. Now, you tell me, as believers, we understand this. The primary reason for the test was for selective abortions. Oh, this baby is going to have spina bifida, so let's go ahead and terminate the pregnancy until we can get a viable child. Hello? I mean, I studied. I read on their websites, on their papers. The primary reason they were doing this was for selective abortions. And I said, ain't no way one dime is going to go to that organization. Now you can figure out who it is. Not one dime of my dimes is going to go to that. And so they came. Have you ever been in an office setting where people are all excited about raising funds for an organization and you come along and you say, "Mm, I'm not going to do that. Anybody ever been in that situation? I said, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't get up and stand on a pulpit. I didn't get on a box and start railing against abortion. I just said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And they said, why? I said, well, most of my extra money goes to missions and missionaries around the world because I believe that, that that's where I need to put my money and they're like, well, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But no, you need to, you need to help this medical research and, and you need to do this. And I was like, I'm sorry. And they kept pushing me for an answer. I kept saying, nope, 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 nope. Finally, they got me to say it. And they're like, you're wrong. You don't have your information. And I was like, if you want to know. And so I printed off some information and some of them were like, oh. What's the point? The point is, I don't want any of my time, talent, or treasure to go to something that is not ultimately going to glorify God. And my, my daughter is going to be a doctor. I have no problem with giving to medical research. I have no problem with giving to needy medical students. Come on, somebody, amen. But here's the point. The point is, what are we doing with what we have? Is it going to last and survive the test of the eternal flame? Guys, are we going to be able to do what I wanted? Good. We're about to show you something. I haven't done this in a long time, but I guess since Joe's here, I just brought back some nostalgia of when I used to show movie clips. I would like to show you a, a clip, and hopefully it works. So let me set it up for you. In the 1993 film adaptation of Schindler's Ark, Schindler's List tells the story of Oskar Schindler, a German businessman who, together with his wife Emily Schindler, saved more than a thousand mostly Polish Jewish refugees from the Holocaust. It's a true story. And he did this by employing them in his factories during World War II. Oskar Schindler actually when he began this, did it with a wrong motive. He wanted cheap labor. That's what he was looking for. But as he got to know these Polish Jewish people, he began to realize that they were real people. In fact, they loved him even when he didn't love them back. And he began to listen to some of their wisdom coming from the Jewish writings. And Oscar Schindler changed in that time and he began to rescue refugees and he began to spend 
his fortune. He was a very, very, very wealthy person on bribes and things like that to to bring in as many Jewish people as he could. And he saved, I believe it was the number was somewhere over 1,100 Jews and their families from going to Auschwitz and other places. At the end of the movie, there's a scene that did happen. I don't know if it exactly happened like this, but there is a scene where the Jewish community thanks Schindler as he's escaping from the coming Red Army at the end of the war. Let's pick it up from there. 